In this episode, the couple acing working from home and their plans for travelling the world within their home state of New York, plus the alarming death rate in this Nordic country from COVID-19. Welcome to the World Nomads podcast. We'll be keeping you up to date with travel alerts, information about coronavirus and sharing some uplifting news and views to inspire you and keep you smiling. Hi again, or welcome if this is your first time tuning in. It's Kim and Phil with you. Becca and Dan's story shortly, but Phil... Tell us more about Sweden, and I know you've got some theories on this. Yeah, look, we have touched on Sweden and how the country is managing COVID-19 or not in previous episodes. In fact, it's shunned lockdown rules and it's been pretty much business as usual. So probably no surprise that at the time that we're recording this, the death rate there has risen sharply over the last week, and it's now the highest in the world per capita. That's just uh, 6.08 deaths per million people, more than any other country. But you know what? I This is the acid test here for like, everybody else has gone in, has gone for lockdown and defeating the virus, whereas they have gone for the herd immunity. And what, I, what I've read is that Stockholm is just about at herd immunity level. So, um, but it's come, it's, as I just said, at a very high price. Now, I know you you were on the fence about that. Yeah, I am on the fence about that. Um, I guess the argument for herd immunity is that it doesn't affect the economy the way that we've seen other countries um, drag down and will take years to recover from. But it's a personal cost. What if it was your 88-year-old's in-law? Yeah, my 88-year-old father-in-law. Yeah, look, do we save the economy and sacrifice the old and the vulnerable? You can actually put a price on life and countries do it all the time. Uh, Health authorities especially do it in their planning. And I know, um, and it's, it's shocking to hear this, but the value of a human life is something like $4 million. Um, so what is the, what is the point of spending $40 million on prolonging for a short time the life of somebody, you know, who's got other comorbidities as well, which all sounds great, as you say, all sounds great in theory, but if it's my 88-year-old father-in-law, then I've got a very personal skin in the game and I don't like it. So Yeah, it's a moral dilemma and if you want to weigh in on the debate, email us podcast at worldnomads.com. What else you got? But it's great not to be the Prime Minister of Sweden, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can make those decisions, not me. Thank you very much. Forbes has released a list of US states open for travel and it includes Texas as a good choice because you can drive instead of fly. And on that, we're working on an episode about road trips, by the way, which would be good. Uh, RV companies are reporting huge increases in bookings and inquiries. And there's also a great article from The Guardian sharing tactics for COVID-era socialising from dining mannequins to censors. We'll share (laughs) both articles in show notes. Plus, have you seen in Germany where one place is using pool noodle, hats made out of pool noodles, you know, those um, polystyrene things that you hang onto in a pool? Ah, Very classy. (laughs) Well, Dan and Becca are classy. They're affiliate partners of World Nomads, which means they earn money if someone buys a policy of ours. Um, through their travel blog, and we've got details in our resources and links in show notes. Phil, they love the podcast and they were genuinely bummed that you couldn't join, but I put
Kushton, kicking off asking them about half-half travel. So our blog started as a project between the two of us, and that's because we have what we like to call kind of opposite skill sets, meaning I love writing, Dan is a photographer, Dan is a web designer, and I'm more vocal on social media. So together we kind of split up all the responsibilities that you would need to get a website going and to get people to know about it. Um, but our website started around Ma- March, March 2018 only. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and um, we, we started it, you know, as most bloggers do, as a way to talk about our travels and to recommend things. But it's really grown into a way for us to share tips, advice, um, places where to stay, how to pack, how we... Um, have a few, you know, mindsets that we put behind packing and how we plan our trips. And most recently, remote work, which is something we both have had uh, interest in and experience with during travels. But now as no one is really traveling, we've taken a spin to the whole website to talk about remote work and how people can work from home and hopefully start thinking about taking their next trip. Great. I will read that in particular because we've just converted a van and I'm very keen to work remotely from the van, sitting by a creek somewhere looking at a gum tree. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Uh, We kicked off the chat talking about um, you being an affiliate partner and um, as you said, quite rightly said, Dan, I think, um, you know, a lot of travel bloggers or affiliates partners have been affected with the pandemic, but you guys seem to have pivoted. I'm using air quotes because some people are not enjoying the word pivoting, (laughs) but you you guys seem to have done it really well. So what's been the secret? Well, I think, and, and I love talking about this, so I'm so glad you asked, but I think a pivot is not so much a 180, but more like a 90 degree turn when it should, when it's done right with a business. So our, our pivot seemed natural, I would say, because we already had a section of our website called work remotely and travel. And now we've just shortened that to work remotely. We've even added in work remotely from home. So it's has seemed like a relevant type of twist that we can write about and also kind of speak to from experience because there's a lot of similarities between the challenges and even the struggles and also the solutions that people can bring about when they work remotely from a place very far from home or when they work from a place that is home. So we've tried to draw a lot of similarities to help people through that. We've even had friends who currently, you know, have worked from offices all their life as I guess, you know, we did from the start originally. Um, but we've had friends reach out to us and say, you know, I never considered that working from home was something I could do or something I could do successfully. And thank you for giving me the resources and the confidence to, to find out that this is, you know, a way where I can be successful professionally. With this 90 degree pivot or turn, <laughs> you, are, you are definitely gaining traction. Yes, thank you. Um, I was very... Um, luckily asked to host two separate uh, webinars on how people can begin to work remotely and what tools they can find and use and, you know, what types of things that they already have lying around the house can help them do that. Um, And that was for the university of which I'm an alumnus and that's near Washington, DC. And then a women's professional network asked me to do the same. So it's been really cool that we started our website as travel and we're recognized for that. And now we're being recognized completely in another space in a time when travel is off everyone's minds. So we don't really have any complaints and we're going to keep working at it. A little more on that is that 
uh, we already kind of had a, a pretty strong base of working remotely, but the theme with that was working remotely while traveling. So you, we, we took all those, you know, like interesting articles and kind of updated them a little bit to sort of be working from home to be more relevant to what's going on right now. So it's, we already had the strong base. So like in terms of Google ranking for us, we were already kind of getting to be relevant in the work from home space. So we kind of built out that section a little bit more to sort of uh, create a little bit more traction in that area. And the great thing about that is even when the world starts moving again and we're traveling, the working world is, is, is going to be changed forever. There are companies that are realizing they don't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars a month to, to rent level one of a warehouse to run a company with 15 <laughs> people in it. <laughs> so there will yeah. still be people working uh, from home or working remotely. So that content will will always be there. But once we are traveling, how do you see the sector evolving? Oh my gosh, we have so many thoughts. And we're not sure if we are in the minority of, you know, I don't want to say expert travels, travelers, but travel professionals or people with these online type of outlets where they share expert travel content. Um, we're frankly pretty frightened to travel. Like we don't have any desire to travel when it's been altered so significantly to the you know carefree travel experience that we once had and loved. And I think we're we're not ready to say hello to something that might be a very different type of foreign travel experience. For example, sitting next to a stranger on a plane and being rather uncomfortable um, for our health. And we're not ready for that. So I think we want to explore either, you know, Things much closer to home, for example, even other parts of Brooklyn, which is a massive city of its own a borough. But if it were the if it were a city of its own, it would be the third largest city in America. So fun fact. Um, but I think we would also be ready to more take car trips from New York until we have a better visibility on how air travel is really going to be altered in the long term. And you guys have some inside intel in that. Um, I, I remember from your initial email to Rebecca, you uh, said that you were drawing on information from your community, which included uh, people within the airline industry. Am I correct? Yeah, that's true. We um, On Instagram, we tend to engage a lot with our audience. And one day we asked if anyone worked in the travel industry and if they had any type of insights that we typically wouldn't have known. So someone reached out from um, airline security. Uh, I forget if it was an airline national. Uh, it might have been something like the TSA, but all of these people asked to remain anonymous when I reposted what they said to me. So I, you know, blacked out their names. That was fine. Um, and someone else said from an airline said that, you know, as we know, airlines are cutting people, but also there are a lot of changes coming that aren't even really set in stone yet, but totally, you know, based on passenger safety and passenger, not even satisfaction, but passenger trust is going to be a huge thing for tour companies, agencies, um, airports, airlines, just to gain back, you know, trust in everyone if they want to engage in travel, should they be fearing for their health. So all types of, I, I think what they mentioned wasn't even too concrete quite yet, but I think the bottom line is we're going to feel better once we're able to get on air airplanes if we go to the airport very early and airports are going to start to look pretty different in terms of the travel experience. I think I think what 
would help everyone if we kind of acknowledged it is that, you know, you might want to take a vacation to Greece. And if you've been there before, you expect all the same stores and all the same hotels and all the same tour agencies to be there. But the fact is, and I think what we're seeing in New York right now, having been hit very hard in a very sad way, there are already small businesses going out of business or changing completely, or there are storefronts that are pivoting to online, or there are businesses that, you know, used to sell, well, just coming from people I know, but businesses that used to sell, you know, merchandise and are now selling masks. Um, I think a lot of places when we go back to see them are going to look different in some type of way. And that doesn't, that's not even um, beginning to start with like large tourist attractions. I mean, I have no desire to stand in a crowded line for something or to go to a crowded space or to do any of these things I've done recently in our travels, even just being stuck in like a, tr a crowded transit tunnel in a metro system. I think that however it is, there's going to be changes that help people have more space and not touch each other and and things might start feeling le more i don't know spaced out yeah i mean that might be a good thing though because we might yeah. we might start so how we like to travel is we like to sort of have local experiences and we kind of avoid already yeah we, we avoid those long lines those big tourist attractions and we we try to go to not the, the biggest city but the third or fourth biggest city yeah. because or even not a city at all because we want a local experience in a in a new place in like you know, that, that means that it's, if it's, if we're going to France, we're not going to Paris, or at least we're not, we're not staying there for our entire trip. So maybe that'll give other people uh, a similar type of travel experience and that wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, this is where Phil would say, uh, if you like crusty bread, cheese and wine, then any village in France will do. <laughs> that sounds like our Portugal road trip. <laughs> now you're talking about space, and you guys there are, are holed up in your one-bedroom Brooklyn apartment. Um, you also mentioned New York, so if we can touch on how you hope to travel the world within New York City. Oh, one of my favorite topics. So I love this topic, and I love that you brought it up. Probably because I brought it up, but in any case. Um, New York is one of the most diverse places, I think, ethnically and culturally on earth within a given area. And that's because I think that like there are like over a hundred languages spoken here from people from all over the world, like really every continent. Um, New York has, I think, maybe the largest Sri Lankan population outside Sri Lanka. And um, there's like, I mean, tens of thousands of immigrants from East Asia who live in a select area of Queen not to mention other parts of Brooklyn. New York has about four Chinatowns. Like, don't let anyone fool you. There's four. Um, and so I would say, you know, we can take the subway between anywhere between 20 and 60 minutes and we can get authentic Mexican food, Venezuelan food, Colombian food, Korean food, Vietnamese food, um, Ethiopian food. Like, we can do it all. You really never have to leave. I had Sri Lankan food for the first time in my life in Manhattan um, and Ethiopian food as well. So. I think that's something that'll be exciting to do once 
you know, once the transit system is safe again and once we can get groups of friends together, um, it's something we really like to do, actually, to take food adventures with our friends. So I hope that type of thing continues. And I hope that people are more game for it more than ever. Not only just within your, your city, but also within your own country. And I know Americans are really good at that. And I think only 40% of you have got passports. So, um, <laughs> And you've got such a diverse country, as does Australia. I mean, if you want to have a tropical holiday, you can have one. If you want to have a holiday in the desert, you can have one. If you want to have yeah. a mountain climbing experience, experience, you can have one. We had planned international travel in October and obviously we can't do it. And there was this sudden realisation, hang on, I've grown up in this country and I haven't seen Uluru and I haven't been to Darwin and I haven't been, you know, the Kimberleys, all these fabulous um, iconic places. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds great. And actually something on my to-do list for today, but we keep getting caught up with things like yoga and website updates and cooking. Um, <laughs> we have we have a Lonely Planet guide to New York City, and I really wanted to crack it open and see what sites or even architectural landmarks or something we haven't seen within walking distance. So maybe we've seen them all, but maybe we haven't. I mean, we're, we're down for walking one to two to three hours in a day just to see something new. Actually, two weeks ago, we were walking in the, the south end of Prospect Park, which is essentially the central park of Brooklyn designed by the same architects I later read. And there is a Dutch farmhouse from the 1800s that is preserved in the bottom of this park. And would you believe most people in Brooklyn haven't even seen it? What's crazy is... The farmhouse is right now on the on the bottom end of Prospect Park, but it used to be somewhere else. They moved the house. Six blocks. Six blocks. Oh, but but yeah. still, <laughs> yeah. to move it six inches, it doesn't matter. They moved the whole house. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how they did it. That is incredible. What a story. Yeah. yeah. But the, the, the crazy thing about New York is that New York is really old. So there's all these mansions from early 1900s, maybe late 1800s too, about like uh, various different public figures or farmhouses because... Mm-hmm you know, New York wasn't always so built up. So I think there are a lot of, there was a lot of farmland. There's a lot of different things that shuffled around. So to kind of hit those historic landmarks, I don't know if we've really seen a lot of it. Also, a lot happens in New York when you start looking up. Like, I think there's a hashtag on Instagram called look up. And it's because a lot of people, you know, walk with their heads down, but the buildings here are so tall and they have so many layers that there's really a lot of architecture to see when you just lift your head up above the first floor. You've done really well at um, pivoting in a really tough time for for our industry. So I've loved listening to you and I'm a little bit inspired there, Beck, to to start exploring Sydney, just the way you've described New York City. Anything that you wanted to say in closing? We love the World Nomads podcast and we've learned so much about cool places like Suriname stands out and this week we listened to the episode on Sao Tome and Principe and we love learning about the world through your podcast, Kim. That is is fantastic. I will let Phil know that. Thanks so much, Kim. See, Phil, you were missed. (laughs) Oh, oh, thanks, guys. I'm really sorry about that. Isn't that lovely? yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was on the road. I was coming back from checking out on my 88 year old father-in-law and making sure that were good. But maybe I'll give them a call and you know drop a few lines on them to make them feel better. Mm, I don't think they're that keen. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Look, if you want to get in touch with the podcast as well, uh, use our email, which is podcast at worldnomads.com. No, that was Maine. They'd love to hear from you. That Australian sense of humour again creeping in there. Next episode, World Nomads Film Scholarship winner Jigar Ganatra on life in Tanzania during coronavirus. <laughs> I couldn't say it, can I? <laughs> I couldn't say it. If, if, you tell, if you spell Tasmania with an A-N-I-A, why isn't it Tanzania? That's right. <laughs> Do you want me to do a proper one in case you think Just it doesn't? In case. Yeah. Next episode, World Nomads Film Scholarship winner Jigar Ganatra on life in Tanzania during coronavirus. Bye. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs>